And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're probably going to hear my dogs running around in the background, but hey, that's all right. Puppy duty is necessity, I guess. Whatever. They're awesome. Anyways, today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And guys uh, aren't familiar with their fireline packs well you probably should they make the most comfortable most well-built and the most bomber fireline packs out there but not only that they have a full line of other stuff that they make so if you have uh, any load-bearing essentials that you need definitely swing by www.mysteryranch.com and check them out also they like to give back to the community not only have they paired up with the smoky generation to help facilitate some grants for you guys out there in the field but now they are doing the backbone series which is going to highlight some of the endeavors of uh you seasonal and permanent folks out there we just got the green light from uncle sam to go ahead and go forth with this uh whole backbone project and it's coming down the line so another addition to that well they are doing the 1039 scholarship where a portion of the proceeds are going to go into a fund to help facilitate some more scholarships for you folks out there in the field so if you guys want to go back to school you want to get you some education definitely go over to uh, www.mysteryranch.com and check it out uh unclear so far on the timeline of when the 1039 scholarship is going to be coming out and official but I've gotten the green light to go ahead and start promoting this and uh, I'm looking forward to it. So hopefully it'll help you guys out there, go back to school, get some education and further your career. So once again, www.mysteryranch.com. And the Anchor Point Podcast is also brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor. Who is that you might ask? Well, it is none other than Hotshot Brewery. Oh yeah, kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. What causes that you might ask? Well, a portion of their proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Now, another thing that they're doing too, in addition to what they already are given to the, the foundation, well, they're going to be donating an additional $15 per four gallons of hand sanitizer sold back to the WFF, the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out all of their kick-ass coffee, all of their kick-ass apparel that helps represent that wildland firefighter culture, and all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. Yeah, it's awesome. Anyways, if you guys are interested, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com. The Anchor Point Podcast would like to take a little bit of time out of your day to raise a little awareness, a PSA of sorts. What kind of awareness are we raising here? Well, it's the problem of people defecating on the surface and not burying their poop on public lands. It is disgusting. It is gross. I don't know about you guys, but I've been out doing a trail run or hiking in the woods or camping with my buddies. Hell, even hunting. And I've come across a nice fresh pile of human feces that's been gift wrapped in toilet paper. Ugh, it frustrates me. It's disgusting. And this problem needs to stop. But lucky for you, there's a campaign out there that'll help raise awareness for this tissue issue. Our good buddy, Booze, Mr. Booze and Fire. I'm sure you've seen him run around on the old Instagram. He started a campaign called the ass movement. What is it? Well, it is the anti-surface shitting movement and you can help. Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. Get yourself some stickers. Place them wherever you need to, wherever there happens to be a problem with this tissue issue on public lands. It's a funny name, but he's serious about being a, a true steward to the land. So once again, go over to www. 
thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. What is it, you might ask? Well, it is a digital archive, if you will, of over a hundred stories about wildland firefighting dating all the way back to the 1940s. It is pretty freaking rad. So if you guys want a little history lesson or some commentary from the other folks in the field, some of our peers nowadays, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. It is awesome. I definitely love the uh, organization that Bethany has going on over there and she gives back to the community. She's actually teamed up with Water Axe Pumps and Mystery Ranch to help facilitate some $500 grants for you folks in the field. Applications are closed for this year, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be around next year. So if you happen to be a writer, a photographer, a blogger, a cinematographer, anybody who's telling the story of wildland firefighting here in North America, definitely go over there and hit them up. Go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check them out. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well, staying safe, staying savage out there, and hope that you folks down there in Region 3 aren't uh, getting their asses kicked too hard. I know it's uh, getting a little bit sporty down there, but hey, it'll all pan out. Hope you guys are staying safe. Anyways, today on the show, I've got my good friend, Josh Simmons. And now, as far as people pulling rank on the podcast, I think this guy is going to be taking the cake. He currently serves as the Director of Wildland Firefighting Operations over there in NIFSI, and pretty soon here, he's taking a 120-day detail for the National Fire Director for the BIA. So that is freaking epic. We're going to get into unique perspective uh, as far as his values and where he wants to see the agency go. And he also talks about his background and where he came from as far as moving his way up the ladder and the chain of command. And yeah, a bunch of other stuff in between. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Josh Simmons. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got the National Fire Operations Director for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, Mr. Josh Simmons. What's going on, dude? Another day in paradise, man. What are you up to? Not much. Just enjoying Reno uh, from the inside of my house because I've been <laughs> trying to do all these uh, these interviews this weekend. <laughs> nice, man. Yeah. I'm actually sitting outside for once, enjoying the, the sun. Well, a little bit overcast, but it's an awesome day to be outside, man. Yeah, beautiful Boise, man. How do you like it? 
Loving it, actually. It's a cool place to live, man. It, right at the base of the mountain, so you have access to you know the outdoors and all kinds of stuff. So it's a it's a nice place to live. It's a cool little scene down there, man. I've always appreciated Boise, and uh, you got a right. lot of stuff going on down there. You got Wildland Firefighter Foundation right down the road. You got National Operations Center, all that stuff, man. It's all right there. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, man. So tell us about yourself, man. Oh well, shoot, just a native guy that made it up to the big house, I guess, here at the at Nipsey. So, uh, you know, I've been what 21 years into federal service now. I started my career on the Mescalero Hotshots out in New Mexico. Mescalero is my home, the reservation there, and uh, started with Mescalero Hotshots there. Went to college at Utah State University, got my degree, uh, and then uh, went back to the. Mescalero as a forester for a little bit and then moved to California and worked out there for 13 years and all ended up being the regional fire management officer for that region. Nice. And, uh, awesome place, actually. I mean, I never thought I'd move to California, but it turned out pretty sick. I actually really enjoyed it a lot, man. Yeah. Um, now here in NIFSI, man, as the operations director for BIA and, uh, and also sitting on the, the national multi-agency coordinating group. And as of January 1, this year, took over as a chair for two years. So. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So that's, that's a cool thing about you is like, I, th- I think you have the uh, all time top scores being as far as pulling rank on the show here, <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. Right, man. I guess it's a good thing, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's cool. No, it is cool because we've had like, you know, AFMOs, FMOs, captains, the gambit. We've had even like, you know, your squaddies and stuff like that. And maybe people that are a little bit newer to fire, but someone who's this high up in the chain of command, man, that's pretty rare. That's pretty cool and unique to have you to have you on the show. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be on, man. I mean, it, it's cool to share the stories and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're all the, we're all brothers and sisters in the, in the fire world, man. So, you know, I'm glad to be part of this. Nice, man. So R3, huh? Uh, you, you started off on Mescalero Hotshots? Yeah. Yeah. I started out Mescalero Hotshots. Funny story, man. I, you know, out of high school, I was, um, looking for a job and I thought, you know what, I'll just, I'll be a type two firefighter, join one of the AD crews there at the agency for Mescalero for the BIA. Went did a pack test and, and stuff. And, um, a buddy of mine, he's, uh, he was on the hot shots. His name's Kevin Palman. He's awesome, dude. His dad was a hot shot soup from Mescalero at the time. And he said, Hey man, you should talk to my dad. See if you can get on, you know, it might be cool. And I called Leland a few times and he'd kind of give me the runaround. And then one day out of the blue, he calls me and he's, where the hell are you at? And I'm like, Oh, I'm at work. Is that my other job? And he said, you got 30 minutes to get here. So I got, got to the hot shot base had to do push-ups because I was late. I had no idea I had a starting date. And uh, man, what a rude awakening going from zero to a hotshot crew. And <laughs> thought I was cool until that first week on, man. And it was definitely the start to my career and, and uh, really happy about that for sure. Nice, man. So there's a rumor floating around there that uh, uh, one of our uh, one of my friends asked. And it's like, what's a story about another uh, R3 IHC cleaning up some sections of your line? <laughs> he says that man but i think they never even made it out of base camp <laughs> oh shots fired <laughs> oh man now he wants me to give you now now he wants me to give you a bunch of shit about ford versus chevy so <laughs> right right i was just talking with him yesterday and he is a chevy guy but he was like man those new fords are looking amazing so i think we got him sold on going the right way you know yeah. Yeah, dude. I, I feel you, man. I'm a four guy myself. I got a 65 uh, Ranchero sitting in my garage and so it's, it's like my little baby. Wait, yeah. I got a 95 power stroke in the garage and 
But this summer, the plan is just to get it out to OBS Solutions in Oregon and get it completely redone. Nice, man. So uh, that's one thing you're saying, too, is like you're really into off-roading and that's like kind of what your, your game is in the off time. Yeah, man. I, 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 I mean, I grew up in New Mexico, living on a reservation and, uh, you know, did everything from cowboying and stuff to out anything outdoors. And I really liked off-road. So now I've got a Toyota Tundra 2017 and I, I try to get out as much as I can. I got a little girl, she's 14 years old and her and I get out, go play in the hills and stuff and enjoy it. But the big time Ford diesel guy, I've got that diesel in the garage and, um, Prior to 2013, I was a big time team roper. That's what I did in California. So oh, I, really? my day job was fire. And then I team roped, I don't know, three to five days a week in California. And it was awesome because it's year round there because there's no snow in the Sacramento Valley. Yeah. So uh, I was a big time team roper until 2013. And since then, I've kind of put it aside. It's still in my blood, but you know, maybe one day I can get back into it. I sold my horses and everything when I moved to Boise. So you know, I've got to try to figure out how to get rich to get some more horses again. Yeah. Hey burners, man. They're expensive. That's for damn sure. <laughs> so do you know Tinker down there? I do. I do know Tinker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's he's a big cool into that too. Like the whole cowboy thing. Yeah. I told him uh, one day when I get down to SoCal, we're going to have to meet up and turn some steers. Hell yeah, man. Tinker, if you're listening, which I know you are, hit, hit up our boy Josh here, man. He's waiting. <laughs> So this detail you got coming up, man. Now, now talk about that. You got a pretty big detail coming up. Yeah. So uh, actually starting tomorrow, I'll be the acting uh, fire director for the BIA for 120 days. And so it just kind of happened by um, BIA, the fire program still falls under the division of forestry. It's still part of a forestry function. So See, I thought it was our chief forester DOI. took a detail assignment. And then my boss, the fire director, is moving up to the chief forester job on detail. Uh, and then they asked me to follow in behind them for 120 days and, and hold down the fort for that. So um, pretty big, pretty big gig, man. I mean, I, you know, honestly, looking back 20 years, I think about this the other night, I was like, man, I was just a crew member on a hotshot crew thinking this was life. And it still was, I mean, I used to think about that every day, but um, it, it kind of, you really think about stuff when you're like, man, holy crap, I'm actually sitting as a national director now. And that's, that's pretty awesome stuff, you know? pretty wild right yeah dude right. i thought it was uh i thought that the bia fell under doi for some reason yeah we are we're still under department of interior uh it's just our organization fires under forestry in the bia organizations i uh, gotcha my yeah. misunderstanding well that's cool man so um what's that all about what's like a day in the life in the national fire director role or the national fire operations director let's go both well, upper uh, national operations, man. I mean, it, it's, I'm in charge of all the budget policy guidance and direction in regards to operations. So I'm in charge of the, uh, interagency hotshot crews for BIA, all crew programs, engine programs, uh, engine fleet program. Uh, and then I also work interagency, you know, sitting on the NMAC, the national multi-agency coordinating groups of the NMAC sit on that group. And so every day, especially as we roll into PL3 to PL5, and we're, we're meeting almost every day, uh, doing resource allocation, prioritizing resources across the country, international, negotiating with Canada. I mean, all winter long, it was constantly trying to meet the needs and, and demands of Australia to help out there too. So it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fast paced life. I mean, it's, it's all intense, just, you know, it's stress. It's, it's um, mental work all day long, trying to manage national resources. I mean, and it's not just my agency, it's everybody's resources that we mobilize. So it, a lot of it's meetings, man. A lot of it is working with our interagency partners to try to help each other with fire operations and, 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 you know, response to fires and all, all hazard emergencies. 
for the fire director job, um, it's it's I mean operations is part of it, but it's an even bigger scale because now you're ha- now you're having to make the command decisions and overall decisions on fuels management, fire prevention, operations, um, burned area rehabilitation, and and managing multi million dollar budgets on the preparedness side, fuel side, uh, and suppression. So it's it's a it's a lot of work, man, and it's it's constant meetings. It's amazing how many meetings and phone calls you get involved with. I mean, yesterday you think Fridays are chill, but I was from about eight o'clock till about eight thirty last night. I was on phone calls and Teams meetings, you know, because all COVID, everything's virtual right now. Yeah, dude. That, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the wild thing about this whole situation that we got going on right now across the nation, man. It's, it's a lot of mental gymnastics. I'd assume that you'd have to <laughs> roll through just to get through your day, as far as work goes. Right. It's a different uh, pace now. I mean, even our NMAC meetings are are pretty much halfway virtual now. So a couple of us will show up in the meeting room, but almost everybody else are virtual. So everything's done by computer phone calls nowadays, you know, and it's, uh, it works, but I mean, it, it, trust me, there's, there's a benefit to being in person if you can have it, but, uh, we got to make the best of our virtual situation for sure. Oh yeah, man. So as far as NMAC goes, like explain that for those who don't know what the national uh, multi-agency coordinating group is. Yeah. So, you know, at the local level, so at our unit levels, you know, we have a dispatch and, you know, your dispatch could be a zone or whatever it is. And so your dispatch is, is prioritizing resource movement just within their dispatch zone to respond to initial attack and emerging fires. Um, and sometimes a zone will have a coordinating group, meaning the individual agencies will have a charter that they work together to prioritize how they move everyone's resources to new starts. You'll see the same thing at a at a GAC level. So at a geographic level, you'll have a co- geographic coordinating groups. Like when I was in California, I was um, a representative for the BIA on the California Wildfire Coordinating Group. Um, so they do the same thing. So within a geographic area, they're going to they're going to prioritize resource movement and prioritize fires and how we move resources when we when we activate increase or down decrease in preparedness levels. That's all done as a coordinating group, like a voting group, basically. The NMAC is a very similar process, except it's national. So now we're now we're prioritizing not just fires, but we're now prioritizing geographic areas and how we're going to do resource sharing across the geographic areas. Um, and because once we start to get about PL4, we start seeing competition for resources. That's when multiple geographic areas are begging for hotshot crews, incident management teams, engines, overhead. So now we have to start de- deciding what geographic area is going to get those resources. And it's based on activity, um, um, values at risk, um, but also how, how many crews and things are sitting at geographic areas. So we have to take all this stuff into account and figure out, okay, where's the best place to put this? And a, a good example of this is aircraft is always a really difficult one because you know we'll, we'll get places that have major, major need for air tankers and helicopters, but if they got a lot of smoke in the air, Sometimes it's not a good idea to put aircraft there because they'll get grounded and they can't fly. So a lot of a lot of uh, this thoughts go into where we prioritize resources, where we move them. But the NMAC also controls national resources. So we we control all the national type one incident management teams. Um, hotshot crews are national resources. Uh, type one, type two helicopters are, are national resources, air tankers. And so we have, I guess you could say, overall control of those and we can move them as needed. But we try to work with the geographic areas to make sure we're not stripping people, you know, and then and then we also have to deal with all risk because FEMA is always having the need, you know, the they're the ones that deal with the hurricanes and oil spills, stuff like that. So 
they'll come to ask, come to us and ask for resources. And so we'll, we'll try to prioritize that into and see how much we can help them. Uh, at the same time, we always have to keep in back of our mind that Canada is going to need assistance and Australia is going to need assistance. And so it's a lot of juggling to maintain our own capability, but provide assistance to our partners. I got you. So you're basically up there trying to play a game of a massive game of 4D chess. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> what it is. Yeah. And, and when we hit PL4 and PL5, the NMAC meets every single day. So every, every day. day at 10 o'clock at PL4, we meet seven days a week. Uh, we don't have a life. We don't go out of the town. We don't, we don't leave Boise. We sit here because we're going to be up there at 10. Um, and usually at about PL 4.5 and higher, we're typically meeting two to three times a day, just trying to prioritize resource allocations and movements and stuff like that. So it, it's a big mental chess game is what it is. That's wild, man. So there's a lot of coordinating, a lot of behind the scenes actions as far as like priority lists and where everything goes. And like even the structure, like when, it boils down to it. That's like your daily sit rep, right? Like whoever right. has the pri- top priority, d- despite whatever the national PL is, say you're in a, you could be in a PL of three, but you know, region three could be an appeal of four or five. So they're at the top of the list. So they take highest priority, right? Right. So that's part of the, pro- the process too, is every day we, we sit and we prioritize a geographic area. So we're going to say like right now, Southwest is priority one, uh, Southern California priority two or whatever. And we'll do that every, every day is when we do that evaluation. And that, that priority determines is a good indicator of where we're going to send resources when, when they ask for it. So, um, you know, that priority com- is really big, especially when we start seeing competition for resources where multiple geographic areas are asking, we have to go with the priorities and, and realize that, and, and priorities are based off values at risk. It's not just burned areas, it's not just smoke in the air. It's, it's values at risk, resources, personnel. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it that help that we have to take into account when we make those decisions. Quick question for you. Do you guys uh, account for like firefighter fatigue in this whole process? Like say like a region has been getting their asses kicked for, you know, two months straight. Do you account for their own fatigue of their own personnel like or other regions bringing in personnel? Absolutely. That's a, that's a big factor, especially when we start getting into July, August, September, um, fatigue is a big issue, not just with firefighters, but with our incident management teams. Uh, so we'll monitor and see, and what's funny is a lot of people don't realize that, but we do actually monitor how many times crews have been out. We, we keep a tally on how many days crews have worked, how many roles they've had, how many travel days they've had. Um, and then we do the same thing with incident management teams. And we try to we try to break it up that way we can get people a break because we all have personal lives too. And, and last thing we want to do is put people's personal lives at risk because that, that's a big issue. I mean, we've all lived that life. And so, um, yeah, usually about mid July, we're already talking about fatigue and, and what we need to do to try to, um, you know, mitigate fatigue for sure. Gotcha. And we, we'll do everything from talking about, you know, extensions for certain crews and different stuff or, or sitting down some groups and, and holding them and bringing in resources from, from geographic areas that are quiet and calm. So fatigue is definitely a major, major factor we deal with. That's wild, man. And that's another thing too, is uh, a lot of people don't understand. They see overhead on the fire and it's like, oh yeah, you got this chill life. You're just sitting there eating camp food and, you know, basically pointing fingers, telling people what to do. But no, man, once you get into that, that icy level, you're in the hot seat, man. That shit is exhausting. (laughs) You might not be (laughs) operational, but damn, it is exhausting. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's how we feel sitting up here now. I mean, it's, it's when, before I came to NIFSI, I didn't really understand and know what, what the life at NIFSI is like for, for people in these positions. And now that I live it and I've been in it for two years now, 
I may not be physically exhausted anymore like I was on a hotshot crew, but man, it is mentally exhausting, you know? So I get home from work now and if I, if I sit down on the couch or chair and not do something, I'm out, passed out, you know? And so, and that's even in the winter time. I mean, there's just literally no break because it's constant mental stress every single day. And especially, you know, this year we rolled from, you know, uh, um, from normal fire season into Australia assistance in, in November now we're dealing with the whole COVID-19 and how to mitigate that and what we do to plan for this stuff. It's been nonstop drilling for everybody. And then, and you see it, man, I, in the end Mac, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, I brought that up. I was like, man, we all look like we're beat to death and we haven't even seen fire season yet. Oh yeah. It's not even started yet. Well, it started, yeah. but it's not like in the peak of it by any means. Right. Yeah. That's wild, man. I can't, I can't imagine like the, the mental gymnastics that you guys would have to deal, deal with on a daily basis up there in, in NIFSI. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a, a tense and different world. And because it's interagency, it, it's a lot of taking in account everybody's policies, rules, concerns, needs and stuff. And, and how do we as a group work together to, to meet each other's needs and how do we take care of each other is a big thing. And, and that's the cool thing about it, man. I mean, it really is interagency. I mean, we sit around a table, a rep from each bureau and we talk about this stuff and what we're doing to try to make hopefully try to make things better for each other. And of course, there's never an easy answer. There's never a perfect answer, but it, it's definitely the best you can do. No, everything's without its problems and its drawbacks. You know, I mean, just because you fall, solve a, or get a solution for one problem doesn't mean it's going to have problems of its own. That solution may even have problems of its own. Nothing's right. perfect, man. But yeah, dude. So speaking of policy, man, you have the, uh, basically you have the hot chair as far as steering national policy, don't you? Right. Yeah. So in operations was my normal job in operations or even the fire director job, you know, for my bureau, for BIA itself, I mean, you know, we got to deal with law and you got to deal with statute and regulations, which is above us. But part of my, my job in my, in the BIA is, is developing, interpreting and issuing policy and guidance for effective, safe, and, and appropriate fire management, you know, across the country. Um, but we do the same thing at a national interagency level too. So all the bureaus are signed on to the, you know, the NWCG, the National Wildfire Coordinating Group. And that's a charter with all the agencies that we, we talk about how are we on an equal playing field going to maintain the same standards and rules. Um, and so there's a charter there that pro- provides that interagency policy. And then same thing on the, on the NMAC side, we issue, you know, an NMAC, the operational group of NIFSI, basically, we're the ones that make, uh, put, move firefighters across the country to respond. And so we have to issue national level guidance and policy that helps us uh, interagency wise between the federal, the state, the county, FEMA, how are we all doing this together, um, safe, effectively, and, and within rules, you know, so policy is one of those funky things where a lot of us don't like it, but it's there and, and there's reasons for it. And, and it's one of those things where when we have mishaps, we develop policy to try to make things safer going forward. Uh, a lot of it's really to protect our people. And, and, you know, on the other end, and it's not the prettiest part is protect the agencies, you know, and that, and that's a hard thing for people to swallow. And that's part of it. But policy is one of those things that really helps keep everybody safe and out of trouble as long as we adhere to it, you know? Yeah. And that's a lot of things that people don't realize. That's the thing that a lot of people don't realize rather is that, you know, these policies are in place because someone got hurt or someone may have fallen in line of duty because of what happened. Right. And that's exactly how policy gets developed is it's always sad to say it's a very reactive process, but it's it right now that that's how a lot of things happen is, you know, you'll see new policy after an injury or incident 
I mean, if you look at aviation policy, it's because of mishaps that have happened in it with aircraft across, you know, over time. Um, but you still, you do see a lot of proactive to it too. And that's a lot of things that we've been trying to work on is how do we be proactive to this? And you've seen that with the, you know, everybody's probably heard of the wildfire response plans that were developed this year with the geographic areas, um, activating area command. That was an unheard of precedence. And it was like, well, we need to get ahead of the curve with trying to plan and get around mitigation for this stuff. And so, you know, be try, attempting to be proactive and not saying it was a perfect job, but it was like, well, let's try to be proactive and do something different to try to get ahead of this. And so, uh, you know, it's definitely in, in ways to try to, to try to keep people safe for sure. Yeah. And I think that's uh, a, a very good point too, because now we're in, we're basically giving carte blanche to those folks out there from like regional district level to, you know, have a little bit more of operational independence, especially down to the crew level, which is cool because now we're figuring out ways to be more independent. Like, uh, I don't know. I know Wyoming hotshots, they, they have their own mobile kitchen that they have full district support for that they carry with them as far as like isolation and doing all their stuff to mitigate those hazards out there for the 2020 fire season. It's pretty wild, man. Right. Yeah. This year is totally different, man. And with a lot of this stuff going on with the social distancing and all these things, you know, uh, uh, modules of one and stuff these concepts are coming up with you know if you came from the hotshot world or even some of the engine programs and stuff i mean that that's stuff that's kind of the stuff we like we don't like being smashed up together in a big base camp and listening to the generators all night so people slam being able to get out into the stars and, and cook your own food man that's um, that's some good stuff you know and, and this year is one of those where in fact i was on a conference call yesterday and it was talked about that where the medical team were out looking at stuff and they were like oh man the crews are loving this and it's like yeah that's what we all dream for so you know it it obviously is going to boost the morale, being able to do some stuff like that, but also, you know, try to help keep each other safe too, as we go forward. Yeah. I think a lot of good positive changes will come out of this and hopefully they don't go and revert like some of the old policies that we all hate, like the big gigantic type one incident camps, you know, no one likes that shit. No one likes hearing the shitter door slam at three in the morning and waking up. It's, it's a hazard because you know, it's poor food, it's close quarters, it's unhygienic and you know, it's, it's just poor quality of recovery. I sleep right. way better when I'm in spike camp, man, personally. So I think a lot of these changes will benefit uh, the agency as a whole. And hopefully we hold on to them and don't revert to our older ways, you know? Right. But yeah, man. So let's talk about like how you got to where you are. This is a long road and I just want to hear all about it, man. It's pretty interesting to have someone of your, uh, your position on the show. Right. And it's actually pretty funny to even think about it. I was, I was sitting, you know, having a beer the other day after work, I stopped to grab a beer and I was sitting there thinking about some stuff. And I was like, man, you know, 21 years ago when I started my career at the feds, I, I had no idea I'd be here. You know, I was just a hotshot rookie and, and not knowing where I was going to go. And it's a funny story. Cause like I said, I, I thought I was just going to be a type two firefighter and, and not that that's not great. It just, I didn't know what I was going to do in my life. And I was fresh out of high school and I'd seen all the crews in the Southwest mobilized. And I'm like, that looks good. They make good money. Let's try that out, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, convinced to go to the hot shots and, and one of the best things I've ever did, uh, honestly. So, you know, our hotshot superintendent, his name is Leland Palman back in the day, awesome guy. And he was hard on this man. I mean, you know, he, he worked us hard, made us learn. And I, I guess that the, what he instilled and my parents instilled this in me too, but, you know, work hard, always try, always give it 150% every day. And that's what, you know, I, I worked on. So, you know, being young, I didn't really have a lot of understanding of what I should do going forward in life, but I did know I liked fire and what I was doing, but I'd always look forward. So it was like, Oh man, it looks, it would look cool to be a hotshot superintendent someday. And then it was like, you know, it would look cool to be an FMO. Um, and 
kind of what helped a lot. I mean, I worked hard, worked on the hot shots and tried to tried my best to move up in my fire qualifications to try to get, get up the ranks, you know? Um, but I've had some great mentors along the way. I've had some great people in my life that have helped push and guide me. And in fact, there was a, a couple of years into being a hot shots. I was um, looking to go to smoke jumping out of Redmond and, and I got a call from the jump boss and, you know, they were going to have me come up and, and I was excited. I was like, all right, I get to go smoke jumping. Same week. I got, a I got accepted to Utah State University to get my college degree, mm-hmm. and I, and being young, young and crazy, it's like, oh, screw college, man! I'm gonna go jump. And the hotshot superintendent grabbed the phone and he hung it up and he was talking to me. He's like, "You're not gonna do that, man. You, you need to go to college, whether you like it or not." Yeah. So he called the jump base back, told him, "No, he, he's he's not going. He's gonna go to college. He's got an opportunity that you can't pass up." So you know, him and other people really influenced the education component of it. And my family, my personal family, my my mom, my dad, and them all have master's degrees, and that was their big influence on us as kids: is get your education, open up doors, and then make a decision. So you know, I did that. I got the education, and you know, I coming from a small reservation, there's not a lot of opportunity to for job for jobs and advancement. So you know, I started kind of looking and realizing I got to start figuring out what I want to do for my life, where do I want to be, and. Um, started kind of looking forward a little bit. And I knew that if I wanted to advance in the GS grade, I wanted to be move up the ranks, I would have to move out of the agency and move around. So at the time I moved to California, I took a job in California. And uh, in fact, it was an environmental job is what I took, you know, doing uh, NEPA compliance. And once I got there, they found out I was an ex hotshot and stuff. And so they, they moved me right back into fire, which was great. And, and I was doing fuels and, and then, uh, worked hard there and that's they they um i went and worked at the golden eagle hot shots there too and was a detailing as a captain with them and stuff and worked with those guys and loved being back in the hot shot world you know and it was great um but that's when i started realizing myself as like you know i got to start setting short-term goals and then set some long-term goals to figure out where i'm going to go and um just started setting the motions in place to try to get there so working on my fire qualifications you know really focusing on those single resource qualifications that are needed to move up the ladder uh, had the college education already and, and just worked on those fire quals. And, and of course we all love it because it's fun being out in the hills, you know, being on the smoke and stuff, best thing in the world being with your bros. Um, and then the opportunity became where I could qualify and move into the regional fire management officer position there. And I applied and got it. And, um, you know, I did that for shoot, I don't know, five years. I think it was, as I did that job and, uh, you know, loved it. I actually loved working out there. It was awesome. You know, California's different fire. It's, it's, I loved it, man. It was 24 seven different world in region three, but I loved it, man. It was great. Um, and then the job up here came open, the deputy, I mean, the operations director position came open. So I, I, you know, I didn't think I said a chance, but I figured, you know, let's throw my, throw my name in. We'll see what happens. And, uh, interviewed well, I guess. And they, uh, gave me the selection and came up here and, and it had its rocky start for sure. You know, our, our office was in transition with people moving, transitioning around positions. Um, but it turned out to be a really good move and, and one that I really enjoy being able to work not only for my agency, but on an interagency level and the impacts that we can have, hopefully positive on, on the fire community. Nice, man. So, I mean, what, what do you think there is? Do you think it's like some sort of recipe for success? I mean, is that like a combination of quals, education, or is it taking risks or it's something else, man? What's, what's, what's it all about? You know, it's kind of all of it, honestly. I mean, it, the risk part is huge. I mean, we as firefighters take risk every day, you know, when we respond to fires and, and do stuff and we're taking risk. But 
personal life is the same thing, man. I mean, it's, it's that comfort zone thing. We get used to something, but you know, it, I really believe that part of it is you gotta, the risk is taken is, is getting out of your comfort zone and doing something new. And, you know, when you move up the ladder, especially when you move from a fire position off a hotshot crew, off an engine or, or, or whatever, and you want to go into a management level position, like a FOS or an AFMO or an FMO, you're, you're, you're still in fire, but it's a big transition. You're moving from being a ground resource that responds to now the guy that has to make choices and, and the responsibility of those choices are on your hands now, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it's a big change. Um, but, but it's one where, you know, I guess the part of the recipe is taken at risk, but really working and understanding ourselves, set those short-term goals and then the long-term goals for what we want for ourselves as people too. Um, you know, without that, it's hard to look forward. And that's something I talked to some people I know about is, you know, it's great to be on an engine and shot crew forever. And that's awesome. And not that it's bad, but you know, if, if we have the opportunity, why not push that influence out on a bigger scope? You know, because if we have great leaders out there, you know, if they're a great hotshot super engine captain, well, they'd probably be a great FOS or an AFMO where they can have an effect on a larger group of people and, and continuing up, you know, but setting those long-term goals is huge because then you have a target to shoot for. Yeah. And your qualifications and your education and then the choices we make going forward is driven by that. Um, the other part of it is, is, you know, we have to be willing to step out of our comfort zone and move around. I mean, I'm, I'm from New Mexico. That's where I'm from. That's my blood. Um, but man, I've lived in California, worked all over the country, you know, living in Idaho now. And it really takes that desire and willingness to actually move around, accept jobs and, and, and make that promotion. That, that's how, what drives it along the way is also making great contacts, making, you know, building that, building that core group of people that you can rely on um, through your career. All those mentors and like the people that help to bring you up or, or people you can even rely on. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I'm going to say I was very fortunate in is I've had some great mentors from my mom, my dad, um, Leland, our hotshot superintendent. Uh, and there's some other people along the way that were, were instrumental in supporting me. I mean, they, they, these people will see something good in someone and they're going to help you grow. They're going to help make contacts. They're going to guide you along the way. And it's super important to find that. And I guess the other thing I would add to it that's, that really helps is, you know, taking every opportunity and using it as a lesson to move forward. I mean, there's, we're going to run into situations or people that you're, you know, are great or bad, but taking that and using it to learn, to know what we want to do better for ourselves is huge. It's self-evaluation, you know? Oh yeah. And that's a cool thing about moving up too. If you're like, if you're truly passionate, I mean, there is a disclaimer here with moving up. The the more you move up, the less operational you become. Your duties become from, come from or go from swinging a Pulaski or running a saw to doing a shit ton of admin and paperwork, man. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a big thing. And that's why like, you know, I, I think for people that are, uh, you know, down in the, the crew level, the engine level and stuff, that's something to consider as they're looking at that next level. If they're looking at that FOS, that engine or station manager FOS, AFMO, FMO positions is once you make that step, your, your career and what your ex, your choices are dramatically change. You're no longer that guy in the truck going to the smoke. You're the one sitting at the office doing all the administrative stuff, uh, working with dispatch, doing all these other functions that are, or their support function, not that they're not important. It's a different world. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's a big thing that, that um, I think people really need to consider because I, I've got some good friends that have made it along the way and they did awesome. I got some friends that have, um, that struggle with it because it's not the world they want to be in. 
you know, they still want to be that responder on the ground. And it's like, well, that's, that's choices we have to look at because that'll drive your career moving forward and, and making a choice one way or the other, there's no good, bad or anything. It's just what, what works best for us. You know, it's kind of up to the individual to make that decision. I mean, you can go any direction. Right. The government is a very, very large organization. Right. Exactly. There's a lot to do and, and, and a lot of opportunity. It's uh, it's just, we have to make that choice for ourselves. Where, what do we want to do? Yeah, that's true. But also I think that it's important once you start moving up is to retain that ground operational passion, man. Cause a lot of people get jaded or they lose touch with the roots, man. And you see that every once in a while, but you can learn from those people. Right. And that's uh, a big thing I look at, you know, at this level and, and not saying I'm great by any means, but it's the one thing when I look at policy and, and, and choices we're making or, or modifications of training and stuff is, you know, I try to take the perspective and this is what I, I, I tell my, my staff to do is let's look at it and figure out what is, how does it, and then what do we do to benefit the, the firefighters that are responding every single day? Because it has nothing to do with us sitting at Nipsey. Yeah. It has every impact on, on those that are responding to fires on an every single day basis. And that's where our focus needs to be every single day. Oh, absolutely, man. Can't forget your roots. So right. what about taking like these opportunities, man? Like any advice you'd give to up and comers, like about taking these risks and, you know, taking that detail opportunity or moving to that new district, man, what would you say to them? You know, my thoughts is, is, you know, there's a lot of agencies out there. I mean, I've spent my entire career in the BIA and I don't think that's good, bad or indifferent. It's just what I've done. But, you know, my, one of some of the advice I could give is, is take that opportunity, look at those jobs with the different bureaus and look at the different positions and try different stuff. Um, you know, but also, you know, asking themselves where do they want to be in their career, you know, and, and then start making those choices position wise to get there. Um, there's a lot of cool things out there. And plus, I mean, if you have an opportunity to take a detail assignment to something, I mean, try it out. Cause there's some, you'll learn some stuff and be like, Oh man, this is either awesome or not. I mean, you know, even the coordination system with dispatch centers, the geographic coordination systems, I mean, de- details of those is huge. People have, will get a totally different perspective and it'll either be a, this is awesome or no, that doesn't really work, but it helps you understand what what's out there and whether you want to do it or not. And, and that's huge because de- details are anything from two weeks to 120 days. I mean, it's, it's that temporary option to try something out, you know, kind of get your feet wet and see if you like it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So what about the fear factor about that? Like, I know there's sometimes, at least with my coming up, I, I had some fear about taking a new position or stepping up or moving away. And finally I, I nutted up and got the courage to do it. But how do you, how would you address that? You know, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, how, how do you address it? I guess an individual decision with every single person, but it's one of those where you have to just, uh, you know, get over the fear and just do it. It's one of those where you just have to make the decision and do it. And it, there is a fear with everything. I mean, even if you go from one hotshot crew to another, you're going to a different world. I mean, I went from a region three shot crew to a region five Southern California crew and, and hotshots are hotshots, but man, based on where your locality is, you do things differently. And, and there's a little bit of fear with, transition and change and the same thing with being you know an fmo in one place going to an fmo job somewhere else you're having to learn a whole new dynamic you know even when i went from an fmo to the to the national office i mean there, there's fear with that because you walk in and your first day week you're kind of scared of uh i don't know what the fuck i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing though you but gotta figure it out you just you gotta get over the fear and just jump in and and not be scared to make mistakes because we're, we're human we're going to make mistakes 
Yeah. What's important is how do we learn from that mis- mistake to not do it again, you know? Right, dude. And that's the thing is like everybody gets all like all caught up in the fear of like, oh, I don't know how to do that. So I'm not going to like try and do it. But no, dude, no one knows how to do a squad squad leader position unless they're actually doing it. Like no one knows right. how to do an FMO's job unless they're actually doing it. So you'll figure it out. I mean, you get a baseline of knowledge and kind of get a little bit of exposure to it. But man, you just got to jump into it. Get after and, it. and the big thing is, is having that core group of mentors or people that you can lean on. Because once you find some of those, it's actually amazing how many people out there are willing to help. I mean, you call up, you know, the FMO or the next district over or whatever, and you and you feel like it's a stupid question, but they probably asked it at some point in their career too. And so it's like, you'll start getting that base built because you'll see the similarities and, and, you know, the fire community is small in a lot of ways that, you know, we're all going to lean on each other and we're all going to help each other out. And we all have that camaraderie and we like to compete against each other, but at the end of the day, we all support one another. And that's what's huge. And, and you got to not be scared to ask the questions because there's a lot of support out there to help you. Oh yeah, man. That's another thing too, is like, we're very, very reluctant to show weakness. Right. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's, it's just kind of cool though, seeing this, this perspective from you, man. Um, and you mentioned something over and previously, you mentioned something about like how important it is to network and having a good peer uh, network to tie into your success. Like what's that all about? What, what, what do you do to, I guess, take advantage or use, utilize that tool the most? Right. So, you know, at all levels, I mean, you know, whether, you know, engines, crews, agency office, whatever it is, I mean, building that network is huge because you're always going to run into these people again. You're, you're always going to see these people on the next fire or as we advance up, you'll see them at a meeting or training or something. And it's good to network and build that because you never know who's going to be able to influence a decision moving forward or who, who you can put on a resume that's going to help you when, when they do reference checks or, or guide you in a decision that you may not know. So building that base at all levels is huge, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and because those people will put in a good word too. And it's funny, it's really funny how uh, the fire community is a lot smaller than people think it is. Oh, it's super small. Yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll go somewhere and somebody will be like, oh, yo, you're Josh Simmons. Oh, oh, I heard about you over here, you know, and oh, I, I heard your uh, like nicknames. I mean, it's yeah. funny where <laughs> people will come up and say, oh man, I heard your name is whatever. But it's cool because you'll always be able to lean on these people or they'll put in a good word for you at a situation. And um, it helps build one, it helps build your confidence Two, And you have a base to always lean on. And it gives you that that family feeling no matter where you are. And then three is 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 when you build that group, we always have each other as we all come up together. It's huge in our in our career development. Oh, absolutely. Dude, speaking of nicknames, I heard uh, that you are best hair in fire. <laughs> it's a pretty tight that, fade, man. I know these guys can't see it, but this guy, you got a pretty good fade going on. Hey, man, you know what? I, I grew up with uh, everywhere I was, I always grew up with being told, you know, you always make yourself the most presentable you can. And somewhere along the lines, I kind of got a little, uh, you know, picky about my hair, I guess, and you know, you gotta <laughs> keep, it, keep it looking good. And that, that name came from a, a, a freaking instagram post man even before i had instagram and uh it kind of stuck and <laughs> gotta hold up hold the reputation now you know oh man yeah dude uh that best hair and fire thing uh we it looks like uh my buddy steven gonzalez one of my academy bros he's uh he's definitely got some competition here man <laughs> <laughs> uh, gotta always be on point man yeah my buddy steven he's 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 a good dude he's out of he's a he's a bro out of mccall 
But anyways, man, so what about like moving into the policies of like moving up or not the policies, the uh, politics, like the office politics, because it's a different world, man. When you're in the back of the buggy, it's buggy rules, right? Right. But when you get into the office and you get the admin side or that, you know, higher up staff, there's definitely a different shark tank going on. Right. You know, and that's part of that transition from the from the crew to the office is is what we've done on the crew level. A lot of it is good basis for us, the foundation of leadership and, and, and stuff. That's important. We have to rem- remember that part of it. But when you move into the office environment, excuse me, you have to learn a whole different world because now you're now having to deal with individuals as a person, not a resource, but a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so now in an office environment, it's really odd. Even for fire people, you'll see people operate themselves daily and you'll see their emotions and who they are as individuals. And, and you'll see their personalities really stand out and stuff. And, uh, and you'll start having, you'll start seeing everybody has different communication styles. And in the office environment, that stuff can cause conflict. I mean, I think a lot of us that work in the office know that when we deal with that word, it's hard to communicate and we, we get into conflict with one another and can't get on the same page. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of work in understanding that, you know, the crew rules, the buggy rules no longer exist in the office environment. It's, it's now having to individually learn how to communicate differently with every single person, how to understand personalities and, and notice when someone's, you know, having an off day versus a good day and all these things. And, and being able to do that really makes it uh, much better to be able to build your team and, and keep that team cohesion. But it takes a lot of work. It's a totally different world coming from the fire, from the, from the crew to the office. It sounds like there's definitely a lot of opportunity to utilize your self-awareness and your also your emotional intelligence as well. seems like it's right. a huge part of it, man. And that goes even down to the firefighter as well. You know, no, just being situationally aware of your own like shit going on and other people's shit going on. Right. Yeah. It, and it's tough, you know, and, and every office, the different, they're all different sizes and you have different personalities and different things going on. And, the most important thing is, like you said, is that situational awareness, watching and monitoring everybody. You'll start developing patterns. You'll understand how, how everybody has, how everybody are. And then you'll even notice when they're off. And, and it really helps you to know how to navigate through that for the best outcome. Um, you know, and it's funny. I mean, it, a lot of it's emotion driven. And especially here in fire, everybody does their job with passion. That's, that, oh, yeah. that's what we are. I mean, fire is not a job. It's a lifestyle. We all, once we all get in and we stay in, it defines who we are in a lot of ways. And you'll see that even in the office environment, everybody is still firefighters and heart still. Um, and so you'll see that passion. And so it really takes that extra effort to realize that, you know, we got to be very situationally aware with one another. And what do we do different with this person versus that one, just to get an outcome we're looking for? And how do we communicate in a way that we all can be a team in the same direction? I got you, man. Yeah. It's, it's just weird, man. Cause like, when you move, I mean, I'm out of fire now. This is my first year out in 11 years, and moving into that private sector, man, I'm still a firefighter. I've been, this thing it just becomes your identity. It becomes right. you, man. Yeah, and you see that. In fact, uh, we've been through some trainings here at Nipsey um, that um, talks about mental, uh, our mental health and stuff has been a big thing lately. We've been talking about, and one of those is is that is fire people when we start our careers. It's, it's not it's not a job. It's our lifestyle. It defines who we are as people. And a lot of people you ask them, they're like, Oh, a jumper has a shot, you know, and, and, and it becomes, it becomes our, it becomes our identity for sure. You know, 
Oh yeah. It's kind of crazy though. And, uh, speaking of mental health stuff, man, what kind of stuff are you guys working on in that regard? Um, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. Um, uh, you know, I, I think right now, I know like within my bureau we, we have a contractor working for us that she's really big into the mental health situation, especially with exactly the COVID who you're talking on, about focusing on how we, how we, uh, how we maintain mental health. What are we doing to rest our minds? What do we do to balance our lives? And uh, we're starting to see a little more of that, even on the NWCG side, where we're starting to put that focus in and, and how do we help the firefighter stay mentally healthy? Because, you know, I mean, man, you're four months on the road, you're balance, your, your life is out of balance. So what do we do to help try to fix some of that stuff? You know? Yeah. And I think I know who you're talking about. Uh, it's Nelda, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nelda was my first, uh, my first guest, first episode. She was on the show. Nice. Nice. Yeah. She's an awesome person, man. Yeah. She's rad. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing though, is like seeing what new kind of things are coming down the pipeline. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're, I guess, getting out of the new or the old school mentality, I guess you can call it. It's kind of a changing of the guard. It's like a new generation of firefighters that are coming out. I was fortunate enough to see the tail end of like the older stuff and also the beginning of the newer generation of how we address things. Because back in the day, man, you'd be going and going and going and like there wasn't two to ones. There wasn't any of this shit. It was shut the hell up and dig. And it was, it was just different, man. Right. Back in the day, it was always man up. Don't talk shit. Just man up and do your job. And, and now today we're starting. I mean, obviously we still have that mentality, but, um, a lot of it now, what we're pushing out is, Hey man, let's look after each other, check on each other, ask, are you okay? You know, let's be brothers to one another, brothers and sisters. And let's, let's take care of each other is, is a big thing we're pushing out right now. Yeah. That whole peer support kind of thing, man, just relying on each other. Cause th- that's another thing too. You can't just go, go talk to Joe Schmo about your career and what's going on because they don't understand it. They don't speak the language. Right. Exactly. But yeah, man, I'm glad to see it though. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm glad to see that it's, it's changing to a process of, or a, uh, like a mentality of it's okay not to be okay. Oh yeah, exactly. That's a big push we're trying to make is, Hey man, we, we're all human beings at the end of the day. It's okay to, to, to show that. And there's nothing wrong with it. And, and let's all support each other and realize that, that, um, you know, we all need each other. That's reality. Oh yeah, man. So as far as that though, like directing policy and everything like that, I mean, what is that like? Like you get to basically punch the, <laughs> punch the tickets and see where things go. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a different world, man. I mean, you know, you know how it is when we go up, you know, it's like, Oh, well we have uh, the red book and it has some rules and then we read it or we may or may not read it. And then, and then as you go up to further, you know, you start getting to the point of now at the national office, we're making policy and it's definitely a different world, man, because now you're, you have to, it's that, responsibility that whatever we we develop and write is going to have a direct effect on everybody across the country um and when you first get into it it's scary as heck man because you're like shit i don't know if this is right to write this or not is this cool or not um and in reality is no matter what you develop whatever you do or don't do at this level you can't make everybody happy there's going to be people that accept it people that like it people that hate it every, every end of the spectrum and the best we can can do is just have that thick skin and realize and we're just doing the best we can to meet a national level uh, you know, scope. And it, it's stressful. It's tough, man. But 
definitely a different world. It, it, when you sit there at the table and you're writing these things, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. 20, year ago, 20 years ago, I was swinging a Pulaski, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was bitching about policy 20 years ago and now I'm writing it? What the hell happened? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, man. I mean, there's a lot of changes on the horizon though. And uh, it's it's good to see. It's refreshing to see that folks like you are up there in Nipsey and you're actually listening to the people on the ground because that's where all these policy changes comes from. It comes from the bottom up. Right. And that's a big thing. I mean, you know, everybody's going to have a different perspective, whether it's at the unit level, the regional level, the state level, the, the national level, you're going to have different interpretations of what's right, wrong, or indifferent. And, and the one thing I like to look at, man, is whatever we do, it doesn't affect me here. It doesn't affect the region level. It's, it's the firefighters. And that's most important, in my opinion. And how do we continue to support that and keep people safe and still do our jobs and, and, the big thing we've been focused on lately is what do we do to do workforce development, successional planning? How do we develop people from that basic firefighter all the way up? You know, that because somebody's got to take our seats at some point, you know, Mm -hmm. that, and there's a lot of issues with retention and attrition in our field. It's it's accelerating, which is kind of scary, man. Cause pretty soon if it accelerates like the way it is, especially this year, man, Holy shit. Like we're going to have some issues later down the road. We're not going to have boots on the ground or, we're going to have a lot of spots that we need to fill. Right. That's, that's been a big target. We've all been looking at is that workforce development, successional planning. In fact, that's a conversation we've been having for years at every level with our incident management teams. You know, how do we, how are we building that next incident commander? How are we building that next up section chief? How do we build the next fire director? I mean, it's, it's, it's a big focus that we're all looking at and some bureaus are better than others, but, um, you know, that's, I, I think, again, as that goes back to, you know, individuals even asking ourselves, what do we want to do in our careers? Because we need to get people to, you know, those, those hot shots, those engine crew members, those Helitac crew members. Hey, man, you guys got to take our spots at some point. So let's, let's look at that stuff. You know, it's, you know, I know, I know these type of jobs aren't for everybody, but, uh, you know, we need everybody at all levels and, and, you know, we need, we need some of those great leaders to come up and, and do these jobs and, you know, look out for, for the firefighters, you know? Oh, absolutely. But I, I can understand it too. I mean, it's, it's, it's a young man's sport and moving up in this world. It's hard, man. Uh, I know that a big uh, topic of discussion is going to be pay equality and benefits. That's one of the hot button topics I know at your level. Um, and right. I know you guys are addressing it. I know we can't really talk about what's being done, but there are changes on the horizon. Right. Yeah. At, at every level, central office level with the different departments, there's definitely conversations going on about that, uh, you know, for, because um, right now, you know, a lot of us are into the 462 series or 401 and stuff, and there's conversation about using other job series and all these things going on. Um, what's going to actually come out of it? I'm not so sure right now, but it is a huge conversation topic at the top about about the stuff. Re- retention, recruitment's huge. I mean, that's a big focus right now, especially this year. I mean, we're seeing a lot less, a big decline in, in, in personnel numbers. So what do we do to fix that? that? That's been a big focus that we've all been looking at and trying to figure out for sure. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's so many different options, so many routes you can go. I mean, I knew, I know there has been talk of uh, separating land management agencies from the firefighting realm and kind of going towards more of a national firefighting force. I don't know if that's hearsay, but I don't know if it's going to happen. It's going to come with its own set of drawbacks too. Right. I mean, you know, we, we hear that at all levels. I mean, I've been hearing that thing since I was an FMO in California and, and, um, I haven't seen it come to fruition yet, but we'll see what, what the future holds. I don't know. I mean, there, 
you know, the one thing I've learned at this level, at the national level, man, is things happen like that, that quick. Mm-hmm. One day you're going down one road, next day you're doing something totally different. And, and it's driven by politics. It's driven by all kinds of stuff. And, and we're constantly reactive to that and trying to manage and mitigate through that to lessen the effects to the ground, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing too, man. I, I couldn't imagine being in your position. That sounds like an impossible job because every decision that you make is going to have its pros and cons, man. Right. And that's, that's the tough part getting to this level or even at the regional level is, you know, got to grow some thick skin because not everybody's going to be happy. And, you know, I mean, I watch the social media like everybody else, you know, and you know, it's fun to check this stuff out and, and you'll see, I mean, even this year with some of the stuff that came out, I mean, I've seen people have pretty, pretty bad, you know, comments about certain things that have coming out and, and you hear some people saying great things. I mean, it's all over the world and it's just having that thick skin and realizing that we'll never make everybody happy, but we have to do the best we can to try to try to do the best as much as possible for the general population of fire, you know? Oh yeah, man. Like I said, it's, it's far too complex and it's a, uh, it's a thankless job and <laughs> it's <laughs> far too complex for you or me to figure out alone. And then you got, you know, you're kind of in the middle of things cause you got the Washington office pushing down on you. You got the, uh, guys on the ground, the boots on the ground, pushing up onto you. And you're just at like this impasse right in the middle with this impossible job making all these decisions, man. That's crazy. Oh yeah. It's rewarding though, man. I mean, you don't get to see that, you know, you don't get to see the outcomes of your decisions and actions, you know, like you do on the ground, you know, when you're, when you're fighting fire, you tie the line and, and you go, you go into mop up, you're like, Oh hell yeah, we got it. You get to see that. Feel yeah. it. We, I don't see that anymore. And I haven't seen that for years, but that's okay. I mean, when you get out and you start seeing and say, Hey man, since people grow their qualifications, Oh man, seeing, you know, whomever go from that position to the next, it's like, Oh yeah. I mean, you, you start to see and notice a little bit of it, you know, and, and it feels good to see some of that stuff or at the end of the year, Hey, you know what? Mo- almost everybody went home safe this year. That That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But yeah. then do you ever miss it? Having like I do. coming off the line, having dirt tooth and like black legs and all that shit. Dude, I miss it all the time. I think about that all the time. In fact, I was just at work yesterday in between conference calls and meetings and I'm like, ah, oh, man, what I would, Love to be just back in the crew carrier, you know, rolling to the next fire, sitting on a ridge top, you know, burning out. You miss that stuff for sure because it's in our blood. It's who we are. And and it's not just me, man. And you sit around the table like at NMAC with all the other fire directors and ops directors and stuff. And we're all the same. We're all ex-hotshot, smoke jumpers, hell attack or whatever, wherever our, future, our, our past came from. And we all missed it. But, you know, we all also realized that, you know, this is now our fire assignment. In fact, I got one of the guys in our, our group, he said that, you know, he was, a question was asked to him is, Hey, do you ever go on fire assignments anymore? And he's like, no, this NMAC, what we do, this is our fire assignment. Now it's not as glorious because people have no idea it exists, but this is our fire assignment. And, and, and our effect is helping is, is felt all over the place. And, and that's the truth. I mean, if I don't get on a fire assignment this year, which I most likely won't because of the job, but you know, I'll, I'll lose my qualifications and I'll, I'll have lapsed everything, but that's what you signed up for when you get to this level, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're sacrificing your operational stuff or, you know, directing other things, you know, you're a bit more, right. it's more of a bigger picture thing that you're onto instead of that instant reward of, you know, putting out, catching a line, hooking a, hooking a fire, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes sense though. Um, at least you get to go out every once in a while. You have the, the option to, you know, take an assignment here and there if you do. Yeah, we still have the option too. I mean, that that's a choice that we can make personally, you know, um, I told my boss, I said, I, I might try to get out on one this year. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it, it might be a, a shoulder season fire assignment or something, you know, but 
Dan, this is, this is, I, I look at this and say, this is what I committed to. This is, this is what I signed up for. And my job is now supporting the national effort. That's my job, you know, and if, and if I'm not sitting here doing it, then I'm, I'm definitely not supporting you guys, you know, and that I take my job serious to stay in here and doing that. Nice. So speaking of uh, being up there in, at IFSI, what are some things that if you can talk about it, and I know a lot of this stuff, we can't discuss any non-public information on the show or anything like that, but what are some things that you're working on as far as like bettering firefighters on the ground? Well, if I, if I look at my agency itself, you know, we, we've been making some slow change and training requirements and stuff to try to improve um, the knowledge base and experience and skill base of like our engine program people. So we've been working on that, uh, pushing out a little more uh, driving requirement training or training for you know, required training for driving because uh you know it's funny when you really look at a lot of this the, the data out there a lot of our accidents and injuries every year are driving related so it's oh, like yeah. well do we need to do something different to protect our drivers when they're out there you know because that's a big risk we take is exposure driving across the country you know so looking at some of that stuff to, to make our people more skilled and better drivers and more defensive drivers you know we're looking at some of that stuff um I guess, you know, a lot of the big focus this year has been really just how do we mitigate to keep people healthier with this whole COVID issue? I mean, that's, and there's no easy answer to that. And that's been a big, big, big focus for everybody right now is how are we going to manage that to keep people safe? And it's an everyday daunting task. And, 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 you know, we walk through it. I mean, the same questions are asked on a daily basis and we're struggling trying to get the answers and but it's, I mean, it's paying off. We're starting to see some of it. Not all of it's perfect, but we're starting to see some of that action coming together and helping for sure. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of efforts on the interagency basis and then even on uh, my agency specific that we're, we're looking at things and saying, what, what can we do different? Is there, is there better enhancements to equipment and technology we can do to make things better? I mean, you know, I, I know there's a, the, the DOI fleet program and that they do constant, um, um, R&D on, on engines and, and command vehicles to how do we improve it for the next iteration of command vehicles or engines? How do we, how do we improve rollover protection? And so a lot of this stuff is actually looked at on a every single day basis and on all the bureaus of what do we do to make it safer for the people that have to use them? You know? One of my buddies actually, uh, he took a, he took a new job up there. Uh, a good mentor of mine, uh, former, former boss of mine from here where I'm at locally. And, uh, yeah, he's over there in the equipment, the equipment shop. So oh, sweet. yeah, he's a good dude. I don't know if I'm not going to say his name out loud. Cause I don't know if he wants to be mentioned as well, but I think you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> nice. But yeah, he's a solid dude, but that's the cool thing though. Is like you guys, you know, you guys get to look at things over at the equipment shop or you guys get to look at things from a national fire pr- perspective and you guys get to fix those things. It's, it's awesome. It's a very unique perspective. Right. It's, and it's the government, man. I mean, nothing's fast in the government. We all know that. So, it, it, you know, when we, when we start to analyze, there's a period of analyzation, there's a period of coming up with the, the, the idea, and then there's a, a point of doing. So it's a long, it's a kind of a drawn out process, but it's the best we can do with what we got. I mean, the government's a slow moving machine in reality. Um, but we've got a lot of people with passion that really want to do better and see better for everybody. No, it's great, man. So as far as uh, passions, I know you're big into mentorship. You're big into leadership. What kind of things are you, uh, or what kind of advice would you give to like your younger self as far as coming up in the world as fire? Right. So, you know, I, I guess, I don't know what I would give myself advice. I don't know if I trust myself. 
<laughs> All right, I don't know, about, man. I mean, I, mean I guess some of the advice I would give myself or anybody else coming through the system, you know, is, is, is again, build, build that rapport with people. I mean, build your networking base is huge. You know, um, the other thing is, is really look to advance those qualifications. I mean, I know a lot of people that are still that, you know, entry level firefighters, they got a lot of people from home and stuff that are friends that, you know, I tell them, I said, man, really work on those quals to move up. You know, I mean, unless you want to be uh, just on the engine forever or just in a crew, not that that's a bad thing, but yeah. if you want to be that FMO or AFMO, hey, man, you got to shoot for a certain qualification level, you know, work towards them. Don't be scared to try to take the risk. Um, the other thing, don't be scared to talk to your boss, man. You never know how many times your engine captain, your hot sauce soup, your AFMO is willing to support your training efforts. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's huge, man. I, I think that's important for people to look at that and, and start building their, their development. Look at the qualifications, look at the training and start asking for that stuff. Start advancing and asking yourself, where do I want to go and how do I get there? Set that plan in place. I think that's huge. Just having a plan, kind of a, a glide path of where you want to be. Right. Yeah. It's setting that short-term, long-term goals, man. I mean, you know, very honestly, when I was young, I had no idea that there was a geographic anything. I had no idea there was a, a NIFSI and national level, all this stuff. And, you know, part of the advice I guess I would give is learn that stuff. Look at, look at things, research. I mean, well, nowadays we have internet right on the phone, you know, and it's like research that stuff. What is, what does PL level mean? What is, what is NIFSI? What is all this stuff? And start learning it because, once you see that, your doors will open. You'll be like, oh my God, there is so much opportunity out there. Oh yeah. And you can go all over the place. It's it's just making those steps, taking that effort. Um, one of the things I believe is huge in man is education, working on that education, training, college credit, stuff like that. Cause it'll it'll drive your career moving forward. Open those doors, keep keep opening doors. So what about that hardship though, with like the whole seasonal life, you know? Uh, I know it's really difficult because typically college semesters, the uh, fall semester starts right at, you know, you're gonna have to cut your season short typically. And then you start during spring semester. So you got any right. advice to people that are trying to get that education and just hustle through your degree, but still balancing fire with it? Right. I guess, you know, I mean, that, that's a, that's a challenge and it is for everybody. And, and I guess the best thing, the best advice I could give, especially if someone's going to be around a, a the same unit for a couple of years is, is really talk to your supervisors and ask them how much they can support you with, with your decisions on education. Cause a lot of us would be surprised if you, you know, when you talk, start talking to your supervisors, you'll, you'll be surprised how much of them, how much support they really want to give you and how flexible they can be. I mean, the seasonal positions, furlough positions, there's a lot of flexibility and when we can bring people on, when we can lay them off and all this stuff. And so there's some vast flexibility there. And you can even ask and say, well, what programs exist in the government for education and, and stuff? I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there, but it's not well advertised. It's something you have to ask. You got to research. For it, yeah. And I really, I really do believe that people just, just ask the questions and, and then start reaching out to people. Like, I mean, even after this show, I mean, shoot, I'm more than willing to talk to anybody to say, Hey, here's a, here's a path. Here's some options. Take, take a look at this, you know? Hell yeah, man. Well, shit. I mean, if that's the case, man, where can we find you? Where can we get a hold of you for questions? Well, I'm here at NIFSI. Um, I, I work up at the National Fire Center. So if you ever, anybody was ever in Boise, all they do is tell security that they want to talk to Josh Simmons and they'll call me and I'll, they'll let me in the gate because it's a gated place. But when I can give you my my work email and uh, phone number and stuff. And if you want to share that stuff, I'm good with that. Yeah, I'll throw that in the show notes for sure, man. And cool. uh, where can we find you on the socials? Uh, so social media, but my, my, I'm on Instagram and my, my, um, Instagram name, if they look up, it's a uh, mocha latte eight. <laughs> mocha latte. Where the hell did you come up with that? 
Uh, I've got a, so my Toyota Tundra, I have my 2017 Tundra. I love the truck, man. That thing is awesome. I had a Tacoma. And, uh, I had friends that started calling it. My daughter calls it mocha latte because it looks like coffee. Uh-huh. And eight is the number I got. That was my my crew number when I was on the hot shots in Mescalero. So I just kind of put it together and left that name there. It used to be Husky Slims. Husky Slims. <laughs> Dude, you're just like full of nicknames. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm professional, man. I'm, I mean, I know how to do the professional, you know, stuff as, as an employee. But as a person, I love to have fun, joke, laugh, harass, talk shit, do stuff like that, man. So I <laughs> can't take yourself too seriously, man. Right. You got to, you got to have balance, man. I mean, professional life is there, but you got to have balance and I love having fun and, and meeting people, you know, that that's my thing. And then my, my name on Facebook is just Josh Simmons. Perfect, man. So like, you know, I mean, people can hit me up there. They're private accounts, but if somebody shoots me a message or whatever, man, I have no problem talking to anybody, you know? Hell yeah, man. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. So at the yeah. end of the show, man, uh, I'd like to give the opportunity for you to give a shout out to a homie hero mentor. You could be a couple of them, several of them fire away, man. Sure. So, you know, I had, I had quite a few mentors and, and, and folks that supported me through my career, man. And I got a pretty good list. I was thinking about this earlier and, you know, my family, my, my family is one of the biggest ones. My mom, my dad pushing me, pushing me. I mean, they gave me the ultimatum out of high school, get a job and get the hell out of the house, you know? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, no choice but to grow up. But, but through the way they, they guided and taught, you know, get your education, work your ass off, work hard every day. So I really owe a lot to my family for this. And then my got to give a shout out to my daughter, Frances, because she puts up with my crap every day, you know, and, <laughs> and growing up 14 years, man, she did, she, she didn't see her dad a lot while I was on fire assignments and on travel, you know? So she's, uh, I think now that I'm here at Nipsey, she sees me more and I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, you know, she may or may not get irritated having to see her dad more every day, but, um, Leland Palman, he was ex hotshot superintendent for Mescalero. Shout out to him. He really helped drive me as a person to learn to grow and advance and learn that limits are meant to be broken as a person. Um, and then uh, I'll you know, throw a few names out there. Arch Wells, Bernie Ryan, Tony Wrecker, uh, Amy Dutchke. These are all people in my career that have been past supervisors or peers that have pushed me and helped me emphasize the need for education and supported me in my growth as a, as a human being, but even as a, as a professional. So shout out to all of them, man. Those guys were all the ones that drove my career for sure. Well, hell yeah, man. That's a, that's a good list, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Right on, dude. Well, dude, thank you for giving us a little bit of insight from all the way over in Nipsey and Boise there. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting perspective, dude. And I think uh, it's going to be a lot of eye-opening stuff that we talked about on this show that uh, people kind of realize like, hey, this is way more complex than anybody could imagine, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a world that, uh, you know, when I was when I was on a crew, I didn't know this exists, but there's a lot of opportunity, man. I just think everybody needs to go out and grab a piece of it for sure. Hell yeah, man. Well, Josh, dude, thank you so much for being on the show, man. We'll catch you. We'll get you again on on the show, man. We'll definitely have you. Again. Oh yeah, anytime, man. Hell yeah, dude. All right, guys, take care. Peace.
All right, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Josh Simmons. Josh, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, giving a little bit of insight in your uh, experience, especially uh, how things are kind of ran up there in Nifsey, man. That's uh, pretty wild. And uh, yeah, I guess you can pull rank on people as far as the show goes. So <laughs> once again, Josh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. We talked about a lot of stuff about policy. We talked about uh, where you started and how you came up through the ladder. It's pretty cool, man. I hope that's inspiring and uh, helps convey a message to the folks out there in the field that are looking to work the way up the chain of command, man. So thank you so much. Special shout out to our sponsors. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. This stuff couldn't happen without you. So once again, thank you, Mystery Ranch. Thank you, Hotshot Brewery. Thank you, The Smoky Generation and Booze. Hey, I know you're not a sponsor, but hey, man, I believe in your message. Keep keep doing what you're doing, bro. Thank you so much. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed the show and we'll see you on the next one. Stay safe. Stay savage. Later. <laughs>